Welcome to the Scene in the Wild podcast, a conversation on Alberta culture presented by Wild Rose Brewery and the YYScene.com, Calgary's go-to guide to getting out. I'm Mike Bell, your host for the podcast, and joining me on this edition of Scene in the Wild is Calgary comic Corey Mack. Mack has long been a member of the Canadian comedy scene, building her name as a stand-up in clubs across the country, even earning a CBC Comedy Now special, which still shows up on the Mother Corp every so often. Speaking of which, Mac has also been featured on CBC radio shows such as The Debaters and Madly Off in All Directions. On a more local level, she's one of the founders of the YYC Comedy Festival, which has, since the first one in 2012, brought to the city each fall such notable names as Janine Garofalo, Emo Phillips, and the cast of Kids in the Hall. Mac sat down with me in the Wild Rose Tap Room to chat about how it all began and the career that has followed. I watched it for a long time. I was a huge fan. I'm the world's greatest audience. I love that moment of boom and uh, people taking that leap. And yeah. I watched it and watched it. I read all the books. I rented all the videos of uh, like Paula Pounce and all, everybody, you know, everything they had at Blockbuster. And because uh, I knew there was a science. I saw somebody one time and I was like, oh, I see. Uh-huh. And I could see how you did that. So I did an amateur night. I did an improv class and they said, you're not so great at improv because I kept trying to tell a joke. And so uh, one of the gals in the class was an amateur comic and so I went and did it. Okay, your first time. Do, do you remember? Oh yeah. They, uh, they do you were remember excited. the jokes? Do you I do, I do. They were, you know, they were rough but I had stage presence. Like I did three minutes and... Uh, See, I find that amazing because just making that leap from I can do it to actually doing it and then not just doing it, but then making it a career. Well, I think so. Like, I played the piano in church all my life. Like, I've been on stages, like, you know, I sang with a group. I, you know, so I wasn't afraid of that notion of it. It was like uh, finding the the right words that were me, you know, as the character, you know, on stage, an exaggerated form of me. So at first, I think, you know, you're uh, the first time it was probably just bravado you know, that got me through Bravado that three minutes. Stupidity. Right, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and then I'd practice in the afternoon into a bingo dauber in front of my friends. And, and then I did it another time. And then I waited to the fall because I, I always had this theory of like um, third time's fatal. My, my family always said, you know, so the first two times are just luck. Yeah. And so I didn't want to fail because I really, really wanted to do it. So uh, I waited until I got something actually sorted and actually written and planned a bit more. But I watched it all that summer, and, and we used to always have to sit in the back and watch, like watch the other headliners. So you learn a lot by uh, watching how they manage a crowd, and so I sort of knew what it was supposed to end up like. Obviously, you remember your first time. Do you remember the, the first laugh you got? I think it might have been about Millie Vanilli and not faking it. It's like <laughs> women's orgasms, yeah. but it had something to do with Millie Vanilli yeah. at the time. And, and so like, it was very timely. Yeah, it was very timely. <laughs> it just didn't last that long. And I remember Mark Breslin selling me, you know, about a year into it when he used to come out and watch a showcase. And, and he said, That's, you don't really actually find that funny. But yeah. You could just tell that I, I knew that that was a joke and people would laugh at that joke, yeah. but he knew that I wasn't connected. Like, you don't find that. You wouldn't laugh at that if you heard that. And I was like, oh, I see. That's I get good it. advice. Yeah, it's very good advice. Yeah. And I took it, right? And it's like, you know, somebody said to me, oh, you're so, you're so blue. 
and uh, I was like horrified and hurt and and petulant about it and then I was like no you're right you know and so what's the long game for me it was like what's the long game and then eventually my I've always had a day job yeah and so for me the long game was to write stuff that I could actually make money with like in a corporate setting right so I you know I always had a day job I got married I had kids I did that in that order married kids and then I so when I did write comedy, I had to write comedy, and I wanted to write comedy. My return on investment leaving the house had to be worth it. Is that where most of your, your gigs are coming these days from corporate comedy? For, I would say, 16 years, maybe 18 years now. So our, I stopped when I was pregnant with our daughter, so the, she's 18, a few weeks back. So, yeah, I, w- I stopped doing bars and clubs, really. I did one year of clubs in there, but when uh, Yucks in Calgary opened back up again, um, I came back to Yuck Yucks, but I did the first year, 16 with them in the clubs, and then I left, and then I came back. Okay, now cl- clubs is where where the training is, right? Cl- well, for that's... me, it, yeah, I was with Yucks for the first 16 yeah. years, yeah, and so it's watching it, and they used to send out, like, photocopied sheets from head office in Toronto uh, saying, you know, this is what you should wear, this is what you should do, how you should MC. Like, you always, uh, you always said who was coming next week at the end of the night. You know, you had things to do. Your job is the MC. Yeah. You had things to do, not only be funny off the top, bring everybody into the bubble, but uh, you had Try jobs to, veal, to do. Uh, tip the waiter? Yeah, and, and Mark would be at the back sometimes if he was, he was like, and who's on next week? And who's on next week? It's the next ticket you sell. Yeah. It's not the ones that just saw the show. They're already there. It's like, are you coming yeah. back? And that's, you know, and so they trained you that way. But uh, I've been doing it uh, independent shows, like, so fundraisers, uh, small town legions everywhere. Um, <laughs> Going through the list so, of some of those shows. It's oh, amazing. Right? Wow. Kindersley, Watrous, Lake <laughs> Louise, you know. Well, and, and you do on your, on your website, which is uh, CoreyMack.ca, you do have juicy road stories. Uh, <laughs> the, one, the one I do want to, I, I, how do I not ask about this? Chasing ghosts with strippers in Brandon. I used to have a blog and people would find me, they would be Googling strippers in Brandon. There's two elements to this story. First of all, me and my vagina could not stay in the hotel with the male comics that were with me. I had to stay in the annex building across the parking lot of with the strippers. Because yeah. all female entertainers must gather together in the annex. So, <laughs> so the guys that I was traveling with were very happy to be friendly with me and my new roommates. And so we all had a little apartment over there, and they had their hotel room. So we watched their show. They came to watch our show. And uh, after we were partying, and they scared us so much because they told us so many ghost stories because, of course, they are, they're on a route as well. They're yeah. on a tour as well, you know, paying for their college. <laughs> and so we were, we were with them hanging out, partying, and then we drove downtown Brandon, and Kevin Stobo and I were like a couple of eight-year-old girls, which is offensive to eight-year-old girls, but we were like hysterical. We would not leave the vehicle to touch the front door of the old Brandon Hotel. That's how scared we really? were. Really? Oh, my God, we were terrified. They, were, they had such great stories, and, and it was just that culture of a pocket of people but, wow. oh, I've never been so scared. Who, I, who has the better stories, strippers or, or uh, comics? Well, they certainly had good stories. And it was funny. We learned so much, right? It's fascinating to me, human beings, um, because they had, you know, they had a headline. They had a middle act. They had yeah. an opener, no pun intended. But they had, <laughs> you know, so one of them got the, the more sets one day. She was the headliner. And the other one would have less sets. It was very funny. That's, that's crazy. It's a whole new world. 
And that's what you do. It's just like you find the people, right? This week I did something for the Alberta Poultry Association. They're farmers. They're turkey producers, egg producers, chicken producers, the whole gamut. And, uh, you know, so then you're having stories and jokes about that world. Well, and, and well you, that world. Yeah. Yeah. yeah you yeah. grew up in that world. I did. I did. Small town Saskatchewan, Dodds Land, Saskatchewan. Yeah. I, I saw one of your, I don't know, is it an insult to call it a bit? No. Okay, no. good. Uh, I saw one of your bits where you were talking about, uh, well, maybe it was on CBC, where you are talking about you've, you've killed a lot of chickens in oh, your days. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah, 200 chickens every fall. Wow. So we could buy $5 jeans at the Army and Navy in Saskatoon, <laughs> go back to school. <laughs> totally, totally. Some people call me Lilydale in my other life. <laughs> you came to Calgary when? I came in 82. 82, I went to uh, Mount Royal College. I took my early childhood education and development and uh, worked in daycare. Then I quit one day to go work at Schema Dream. Oh. I phoned them, I looked them up on the yellow pages and I said, I could do this. By the afternoon, I was a full-faced clown in Lake Bonavista up against Buddy the Clown. Um, wow. It was pretty the high competition. The Clown Wars of 82, <laughs> 84. And then I went to Winnipeg and worked at Schema Dream there for a year. So I was like 23 in Winnipeg and then yeah. I came back here for the Olympics in 88. So. Because, again, a great clowning opportunity. I know. Well, no, I was doing French maids. And I could tie a gross of balloons in uh, seven minutes with a full tank of helium. Not many people can say that. Well, so, again, that all goes into your stand-up, all of that making people laugh well, and I think entertaining. An event, right? Yeah, yeah. Like, and you can, you know, when I'm an event and if the table is pushed up against the wall, I'll pull it out so that people can serve themselves on both sides of the table so that we can get the show started. Yeah. You know, I mean, those kind of things. I'll pull all the tables and chairs up to the front of the stage so not leaving a dance floor in between me and you for the show. You know, you just want to have the best possible show. That's what I'm into. Because I'm interrupting people. Like I, That's how I feel. I feel like we interrupt and we entertain. That's what we do. We interrupt, we entertain for the time that I'm on the stage. And it's like, and nowadays people want to be chitty chatty. They have no more time than you and I. They got to take the kids to hockey. They got to get their mom at the hospital. They got to feed the kids. They got to fix the truck. They got, And then they got to get in their beautiful outfits and come to the hall, drink and support the community and have supper yeah. and then listen to me. By the time they get to me, there are three sheets to the wind or wishing that they were home paying the babysitter. Yeah. And so, you know, that kind of thing, right? So it's like an interruption of 45 to an hour. But in small towns, they want something to do. Like, so they're all going to be there. So I like that market. I honestly really? do. I feel really weird in a club situation, in a bar situation. That's interesting. Yeah. I stopped going to the, doing the clubs in, in the bars when I was pregnant with Grace, but I was like, what do the boys in Okotoks in the bar at midnight need to hear from me? Like, you don't need me, because it's not fair to me, it's not fair to them. They don't need to talk to somebody who is eight and a half months pregnant. For me, it's always about the entertainment. Like, are you entertaining that market, you know? And I can do fine. I'm fine at the club. But I'm just, it's, I would prefer to be in a Legion Hall talking to the people. You're listening to the Scene in the Wild podcast, presented by the YYScene.com and Wild Rose Brewery. Brewing quality local beer for the great Alberta wilderness. Stay wild, Alberta. This week's guest is Corey Mack, Calgary comic and YYC Comedy Festival co-founder. The gender issue in comedy has come to the forefront recently, due largely to the behavior of Louis C.K. and female comics who've been his victims calling him out on it. 
Mac talked about her own experiences with misogyny during her years in the comedy world, one particularly frightening one, and how she's dealt with it. Certainly, I used to give like a real flip answer. People would say, you know, do you want to do an interview with the sun, for example, or whatever, right? And it's just like, you know, is this, is this a topic that comes up all the time? And it's like, well, no, you called me. Yeah. Like, I, I'm not advertising. You know, like, and, and my mind is, like, funny is funny. The best female comic in the country and the best male comic in the country, the Canadian Comedy Awards, is like, you know, how about the best comic? Yeah. You know, you could put up all kinds of fantastic comics in the country of both gender, you know, against each other. You know, so I've never, I don't think that's really informed my comedy, but uh, it informed how the audiences reacted you know, how you were dealt with by, by club owners, how you were dealt with by the other comics. Well, we always had, a, like, an in because the Yucks, the Yucks company had yeah. booked us there, right? So we didn't deal with the owners. The other comics, too, you know, it's like you just kind of become, my parents would be horrified that I was getting in a vehicle with a stranger for the next week and, and uh, you know, going to Saskatchewan for six, seven-day run and, and, you know, and then the next weekend a, a BC run, that kind of stuff. And they'd be just horrified. And it's true, like, you were with a total stranger. I couldn't wait to see the, like, you see each other's act, and then you're like, okay, okay, awesome. And sometimes it's misogynistic, and you're like, okay, how am I going to handle that? Like, and it's really, it's about, it's the car ride. Like, you're in a car eight to ten hours a day on a, back in the old days, in a run. Quite often now, you can fly and drive part of it, you know, meet people, that kind of stuff. But back in the day, we were together for eight to ten hours a day so you had to be a manager of that you know I've had an audience member like horrific horrific in Airdrie in a basement at a Christmas party nobody knew where I was because the lady met me at McDonald's and I followed her out to the, the acreage to do the Christmas party Jeez. maybe 14 people from a local company uh, one guy was really really drunk uh, first time I was there so yucks didn't know where I was nobody knew where I was so I'm in my socks in the basement. The kids are upstairs sleeping. First year, it goes fine. They, they think I'm brilliant. And so the next year, and, and you're like a bit of like, you're pretty charmed by that. So the next year, they asked you back the second time. And so then I was like, oh, well, I can just drive to the acreage myself. Still nobody knows where I am. I was probably two months pregnant. They're drunk. Buddy's drunk. He says to me, he's going to fuck me till I bleed. Can I say that? I just yeah. did. Apropos, well, and then, how could that be apropos anything? No, but, no, uh, ever, right? But the difference is nobody said anything to him or to me. And, and honestly, I was talking into a pool cue acting as my microphone. And I said to myself out loud, though, I said, I feel like Jodie Foster. Like, is that movie was yeah. just new. It was my own reference to my own self. And nobody said, hey, Bob, settle down. Nobody... And there were men and women in, like, yeah. in this group before. Anyway, like I knew what he'd said, and I knew that there was a beat, and nobody said And so then I just finished my show because I didn't have anybody going, oh, my God, we don't talk like that at the company Christmas party. And then I drove back to Calgary and, and no more shows in my sock feet and basements in Airdrie. And you tell the bookers, like, no more. I did one more show for somebody that I knew in a house. Guy set up facing everybody in the house with my back beside the door so wow. that I could go, right? Yeah. Like, and that's, that's just common sense, but that's just common sense as a woman in our world. 
Like one of the things I tell people when I talk about you is that when we were at that university and we were in rehearsal hall and you said, I will walk anybody to their car. And no one in the history of my life had ever said that before. And I had no one ever say that to me again. And I don't know if anybody took you up on it. I know I didn't because I was so flummoxed by that notion. But I think the, the, a lot of the stuff you let slide off your back, like because you're in defense mode. Like, I mean, there's a million micro aggressions, yeah. but there's also supportive movements that nobody made no knowledge of either. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. And that should be more celebrated but the stuff that I, you know, you let slide off your back is like, you know, the comments about, you know, this for a blowjob or what, you know, you get, I guess, tough. I don't know what you get. And I've left rooms. I've, you know, like when the talk was like enough, I was like, well, I don't have anything to contribute and I don't agree with anything you're saying. So I don't need a beer, you know, so I've always removed myself from the situation. Not because they had power over me, but the Louis C.K. thing, we were discussing it uh, a couple weeks ago at the Moncton Ho Comedy Festival, the Hubcap Comedy Festival, and we were talking about, if I know why everybody's in the room, because like, he is your boss in that situation. There's nobody that has more power than him. Like He's the only person in the world that doesn't have to go through Ticketmaster yeah. in the fucking world, because that's how much power Louis C.K. has. So yes, you're in his room. Yeah. And yes, you stay in the room and then you just like bugger off and then you tell other people like this might happen in the room. But talking about that on stage has no draw for me. Some people want it to, need to. I don't know what's going to happen. Like I really, really don't. But it's, it's heartbreaking that that's a choice and then the power led to that. Because those women have chosen not to do comedy or chosen not to move on or they're terrified they're you know there's I'm glad knock on wood like it's it's really it's about a knock on wood situation I wasn't in that room so you know I don't know how people feel but because there was whisperings for oh, a few yeah. years right so people kept asking me what I thought about that and uh, I was like I can't comment because I really didn't know what I felt but it's like uh, it's terrifying that you have to make that choice you know and you want to make a safe space for people that you don't have to make that choice. But he is the most powerful man. And I know everybody that I know would be in that room. Just, and that's like being a friend of a bully, right? Yeah. If you haven't been bullied by the bully, all, all's good, right? Yeah. People will tell you who they are from the very beginning. And you look at all the writing about Louis C.K. and stuff like that. Like he has told people that he's not that. And, you know, I heard that on Oprah years ago. This security expert was on there. And he said, people will tell you from the very beginning who they are. And it's up to you whether you're going to stick around. You know, and, it, and we all know who he was. I'll tell you this, I shop at Sears. It might not be a surprise to you. I shop at Sears. Clap your hands if you know what I'm talking about, Sears. Woo! That's right. I don't care if you shop there. Just go down on Sears Super Saturday, Sunday. doesn't matter. Across the country. Amazing thing happening in the lingerie department. The saleswomen at Sears Canada, Inc. are wearing lab coats. <laughs> Has anybody seen this lab coat? Honest to God, white lab coats. It's like a little, you know, hospital theme going on. They got like a measuring tape around their neck. It's like a little stethoscope thing. So I, so I went up to Nurse Hathaway and I go, hey, <laughs> what's with the lab coat? She goes, we're measuring for bras. 
was like, well, Christ, when did that get messy exactly? <laughs> like, what's a snap going to fly off and hit you in the eye? What are you, dusting for Prince Quincy? What are you doing? I'm looking for a chalk outline of a dead tit somewhere. Like big forensic crime scene. Like a lab coat, folks. Who's the marketing genius? When I'm in my underwear, the last thing I want to see is a lab coat. I'm looking for stirrups by craftsmen. This woman was crazy about bras. She's telling me nowadays they have a bra out that's fashioned after the same weight suspension system as the Golden Gate Bridge. Oh my God, is right. The same way. I don't get that kind of traffic up here. Mostly just passing through, heading south, if you know what I mean. Switching topics entirely. Politics. <laughs> yes. I'd say, how could you expect to be taken seriously as a politician, as a comedian, but the biggest fucking clown on the planet is in the White House right now. So you, uh, you ran for, uh, in the provincial election. The Alberta Party. The Alberta Party. I did. What made you want to do that? You know, but nobody ever asked me about my opinion. And it turns out I had one. And I didn't know a lot, so I had to learn. And I like learning. And I had to have lots of conversations with people. You know, it's brand new. I, we spent more time talking about the Alberta party itself as opposed to Cory Mack or anything I could bring. Like, really, it was about uh, describing what it could be. I was on the unconventional panel on CBC Radio. And uh, one of the guys uh, started talking to me on Twitter about how to uh, create hashtags, like how to lead the conversation with a hashtag. Yeah. I didn't even know this guy. I'd never met him. And, uh, and then it turns out that that's what he was looking to see, um, if I could, wanted to have a bigger conversation about Alberta. And I liked the fact that they'd gone to the people first and created a conversation rather than hiring a marketing company and saying, this is what we're giving to Alberta. And how was that experience for you? It was good. Like, I, I didn't know nearly enough. Like, we'd sit around and have five computers out and five people, and we'd try to come up with answers, like, just at my own house, you know. The campaign was to keep the kids alive and our jobs and uh, work like we were, like, 20 for the five-week period or whatever. And uh, we did it out of our house, very nenchified in the sense of it was like they were like, oh, you got to have a downtown office. Model. And I was like, no, I don't. You know, so, you know, we met people at coffee houses and... You know, I was quite honest. I remember David Swan laughing at me because we were on a panel and somebody asked me a question. I said, I don't know. I'll find out for you. But I honestly don't know because it was a question about a federal thing as opposed to a provincial thing, which people quite often bring up at panels like that because they've been saving all year to tell somebody yeah. something. And it's like, well, we don't actually have any control over rocket science or whatever it would be. Right. And he just laughed. He goes, that's the most refreshing thing. You know, totally lots of naivety and and. Uh, but it was a good experience to see, like, grassroots conversations. It was the same year as the first year of the Comedy Festival. Yeah. Same year I uh, auditioned to play Mama Rose and Gypsy in town here. <laughs> I, did. I had all kinds of, like, weird adventures that year. But I was having a yes, let's year. And I was like, yeah, I'll do that. Yes, let's. And first I say <laughs> no. My friend always teases me because I say no. And then I go, oh, wait a minute. I am going to do that. Would you do it again? No. <laughs> 
No, no. <laughs> uh, did you at least get some good material out of it? I don't think so, but I, I think it is like uh, listening to people talk and how people talk. I watch things differently. I was also like the the day assistant volunteer for Nahed during the run-up to his campaign, like in 2014, I think. And, you know, I drove him and went to things and listened to him talk. And so I, I think as a comedian, like having the conversations with people, that informs me as a human, you know, and what I want to see in my city. I really believe in community and, with, you know, aligning yourself with like-minded people that really just want to have an accessible experience in the city that they live in. Because I think that people crave connection, like just crave it. And so the Alberta Party and everything that I've done in the last 15 years, I think it's been around that notion that that we're stronger it sounds like a Hillary thing but I was like stronger together but I think the same with like uh, the women's march and everything else that's coming up it's just like can you if you add your voice and just you know be rooted in that you know because people are defining their own little journeys right and it's like sometimes it doesn't you don't want to be part of their journey but for the most part I can go yeah let's uh, let's consider that because I think the I think the worst part is to be surrounded by people that agree with you 100% of the time. When I go to the open mic nights and you're like, oh, that's a pretty rough. That's pretty rough stuff. Yeah. I don't think, I, you know, but I'm not the market that they're, I'm not the person they're looking for. Like, I'm not buying the ticket. And I don't know what the long game is for their career, but I know what mine is. And it's to connect with more stories and to have those conversations. We live in North Haven, so we've had like five different comedy shows there. And so the babysitters are all making money. The people are walking down, drinking, having a beer, walking home, no troubles. And you're having straight up comedy. My dream is to have the YYC Comedy Festival sponsor all these shows and all the community halls in Calgary. Like right in their own neighborhoods. It could be like little 200 people shows at a time. Because there's lots of talented comics. There's over 140 comics that live in Calgary. Improvisers, stand-up sketch writers. It's uh, lots of people that define themselves. We need more laughs from more people. That's, that's, that's the end goal. Thanks for listening to the Scene in the Wild podcast. This episode was recorded live at the Wild Rose Tap Room on Sunday, March 4th, 2018, and produced by Laurie Matheson at his Arch Audio studio. Thanks very much to Corey Mack for sitting down and sharing her story. Thanks to the Taproom staff for their hospitality. And thanks to Wild Rose for supporting the podcast and for creating the delicious beer they do. For past and future episodes of Scene in the Wild, please download it on iTunes or visit theyyscene.com. I've been your host, Mike Bell. Cheers.